one verse for you this evening, and then we'll look at other things. Isaiah, the prophet. And if you turn to Isaiah chapter 41, please. Sang a little longer there before I was conscious of the spirit of the Lord moving in the meeting. <clears throat> Isaiah 41, one verse, it's verse 14. Fear not thy worm, Jacob, and ye men of Israel. I will help thee, saith the Lord, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Let's read it again. Fear not thy worm, Jacob, and ye men of Israel, I will help thee, saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Let's pray. Father, you are here. And we ask you, Lord, to just do as you will. Do your own work. That your spirit would move among us tonight. But in everything that is said, we ask you, Lord, that you would show us the Lord Jesus. For he is the center of our everything. Glorify your name, Lord. Glorify your Son, Father. For Jesus' sake we ask it. Amen. Fear not, thy worm, Jacob, and ye men of Israel, I will help thee, saith the Lord, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Tonight's message is the Word of God and the Worm of God. I was walking around about Three weeks ago along Tyrella Beach, early in the morning, I got my dog and threw, threw him into the back of my, the car, well, Alison's car, and I used hers. He doesn't get into mine. <clears throat> and I put him into Alison's car, and Alison made me a little bit of a picnic for Harley and myself. And off we went down to the beach where no one was there, and the tide was out, and it was just miles of sand. And I put on... If you're from the country, it's the welly boots. If you're from Belfast, it's the water boots. And put on the water boots. And off I went for two hours walking up and down the beach, hardly swimming in the sea. Brought my Bible, set in red, and let him run around. <clears throat> it was great. There was no one about. And as I was walking along, I stood on a, 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 you know those little sandworms come and leave the wee squiggly patterns in the sand, the little raised ones. I stood in one and squashed it. Now, it was, wasn't a worm. He wasn't in it. And I stood upon it and squashed it. And all I could think of was, Lord, that's what we're like, worms of Jacob. Twisting and turning. Twisting and turning all of our lives. And that's how easy you could extinguish us. Like I stood upon this little mound of sand and squashed it. And out of that has come this message tonight. And the Lord just started winging things home to me. And as I said this morning, I was out on Thursday night and I was talking to Andy Hull and I told him I was going to call it God Straightens Out Twisted Worms. It's a bit of a mouthful and I thought it maybe was a bit better just to put it like this. Fear not thy worm, Jacob, 
And ye men of Israel, I will help thee, saith the Lord, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. There are two comparisons in this, the Lord and the worm Jacob. Two comparisons we want to look at. And first of all, Jacob, the son of Isaac, the grandson of Abraham, is the name that is referred to in our chapter. But Jacob was dead many years. This is his posterity. This is his descendants that God is speaking to here. But there's two things to notice. First of all, the name Jacob means twister. It means supplanter. And it means heel grabber. Twister, supplanter, heel grabber. This worm, Jacob, is a twisty worm. He's a cheat in his life. He's a heel grabber for when he was being born with his twin Esau. He grabbed hold of Esau's heel, so he's known as a heel grabber. And he always supplanted people throughout his life. Notice this. We're speaking of the old father and patriarch Jacob and his descendants who come with the same name after that. And God calls him, thy worm Jacob. This he calls him referring, as I said, to his descendants by our reading. But nevertheless, it speaks of Jacob's nature. It speaks of Jacob's nature right down to us the very evening as we sit in this room. Speaks to the old nature of the people in our nation, the nation of Great Britain, United States, and so on, are twisted worms of Jacob. Notice this, he calls them referring that, and he says, Then, ye men of Israel, notice the difference, ye men of Israel. And he's speaking to the same family and the same people here. Jacob is the old name, Israel is his new name. But also there was the northern house that had been carried away and divorced from God and led away captive, which would eventually come across to the West and populate the Western nations of whom we are descended from. And notice this. He says, there's hope for you. There's hope for you. Fear not, there's hope for you. Notice this. He says, ye men of Israel... Also speaking to the same family, yet it says, And Israel, his name was given in Genesis chapter 35. Genesis 35, notice this, it says, And God said unto him, that is unto Jacob, Thy name is Jacob. In other words, you're a twister. You're a cheat. Thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel, meaning prince or ruler with God. In other words, I'm going to lift you from your state and I'm going to make something off you. I'm going to lift you from your old nature and put something new in you. You're going to be from a twister and a cheat, a surplanter and a heel grabber and you're going to become different you're going to become a prince ruling with God. Also in the same chapter, his promise was to make him a nation and a company of nations or commonwealth of nations. He says, and kings shall come out of thee. Now Jacob is thinking, well, how is this going to happen? Because I'm just a a man who's even in hiding from my own brother Esau. And sometimes in our lives we see 
the impossibility that how could God rescue us? How could God ever find us? How could God ever help us? How could God ever change the circumstances that we find ourselves in? He said, God, how can you do this? And God says, wait upon me. Wait upon me, he says, and I will bring it to pass. It's faith in the word of God, brothers and sisters. Faith in the word of God that he is able to perfect and perform that which he has spoken and that which he has said. Notice, so Jacob is the old. His name is now Israel, which is changed to the new. Jacob speaks of his earthly or his carnal nature. Israel speaks of his spiritual and his heavenly nature. Jacob speaks of his unrighteousness and his cheating. Israel speaks of truth and honesty and righteousness. Jacob speaks of his worldly carnality and death in the flesh. And Israel speaks of the overcoming life that he would be given. And Jacob speaks of him as being a rogue. Israel speaks of him being a ruler. Jacob speaks of him rotting in his flesh in this life. Israel speaks of him reigning with Christ in his kingdom. That's where Christ wants you and I to be as overcomers in him. So that is the first thing we look at. Secondly, we must look then at God who said, notice what he says, Fear not thy worm, Jacob, and ye men of Israel, I will help thee, saith the Lord, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. The comparison with the fallen man, the fallen human nature, is now in comparison with the great God of heaven. Now notice this, first of all, he calls himself, he says, I will help thee, saith the Lord. He pronounces himself as almighty God, the Lord over all. In other words, he pronounces himself and announces himself as our great heavenly Father. Here he is as the Lord, as in the office of the Father. Then he says, I will help thee, saith the Lord, and thy Redeemer. The Redeemer, and we'll look at it a little later, is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is his Son that would come. I will come, in other words, and I will help thee. I will save thee. And then he says, the Holy One of Israel. The word holy here gives us the idea that he will come in the person and office of the Holy Spirit of God. So notice this, what God says, I am Father, and I will come as my Son in my Son, and I will come as my Spirit, and I'll live in you. Jacob was unable to change his nature. Jacob was unable to change his own ways. Jacob was unable to change his own desires. Jacob was unable to change his own actions. Jacob was unable to change his own situations in life, and he was unable to change his own circumstances. Jacob cheated, he twisted, and he turned his way through his life, and he ran away from all his problems, which he generally had caused by his own misleading and his own conniving. He cheated his brother Esau from receiving the inherited blessing of the father, who was Isaac. And in cheating Esau, he cheated also his father, Isaac. 
he lied and he cheated, saying that he was Esau when his father was blind and could not see. Yet if he had have trusted in the word and rested on the bare word of God, he would have found this, that God in his sovereignty already had Jacob marked for destiny. He already had Jacob marked for the birthright. He already had Jacob marked to receive all that he had. But Jacob, being unbelieving, and Jacob without patience in God's timing, he didn't wait upon God, and he sinned his own soul by lying to his father, pretending to be Esau, and by lying to Esau also, cheating him out of the birthright. Yet it was his all along. Do you know, brother, sister, you need do nothing when you have Christ in your life to cheat and to lie through life, but be holy and righteous before God and live the best of your ability in his word. And no matter what is said about you nor against you, leave it with God. And when you leave it with God, he will vindicate you for already he has given you a promise that you're his child, that you're his seed And he will bring to pass that which he has already spoken in eternity past. Notice again, he cheated his father-in-law Laban, although Laban had cheated Jacob the cheater. He cheated Laban by the taking of his daughters, his wives, and running away, as it were, in the quiet with them. He was taking his livestock. And even though Jacob thought it was right to take them after Laban had cheated him, he found out that God would not be well pleased with a man who wants his pound of flesh. I'm going to say that again. Brother, sister, it's important. Don't go after your pound of flesh. Don't take what you think it may be right because you think it is right. Don't seek after the pound of flesh, but rather leave it with God who will bring all things that are spoken and done in the quiet into the open. Shout it from the rooftops because God is on your side and God is for you and he is not against you. Leave it with God and wait on his timing. Yahweh, our almighty God himself, had Jacob marked and chosen and elected as his own and his people. And many may ask why Jacob, such a man, and such a great cheat, such a vagabond, such a twister, a surplanter and a heel grabber, why such a man like Jacob would be even in the thoughts of God? When you read through many commentaries, you'll find people try to floor it up about Jacob because he is chosen of God. They try to make him sound like a superstar. They try to make him sound as if he is a a perfect and a righteous and a just and such an holy man. Well, I like F.B. Meyer, and I'm going to quote him to you. He said, "It It is very surprising to find how eagerly some of the older commentators tried to vindicate Jacob in this, that is, in his cheating. They might also almost as soon sprinkle rose water upon a sewer. It's as simple as that. Jacob was whom he was. Jacob was a supplanter. He was a twisted worm. 
a worm of the dust of the ground. He was depraved in his nature. He was a sinner in all his ways. And the problem is we don't even like ourselves to acknowledge that we have the same nature. That we are sinners, that we are wrong in the sight of God, that we have broken his law. And many men and women don't like to be told that they're in need of a savior, that they're hell bound if they don't know Christ. Because I'm not a bad person and I do my best, but our works are as filthy rags before the Lord. And many commentators even take such a man from the Bible like Jacob, even though God had known and chosen him as his elect. They seem to, as it were, in the words of F.B. Meyer, they may as well sprinkle rose water on a sewer. It'll make no difference at all. And friend, I can tell you, we may as well sprinkle rose water on a sewer. The sewer of lives that are unregenerate and do not know Christ. Sprinkle the rose water of good works. Sprinkle the rose water of ceremony and the rose water of ritual Sprinkle the rose water of denominationalism. Sprinkle the rose water of good works of your family and the, the, the charity things that you do. Sprinkle the rose water upon your life of how you're a good mother or you're a good father or a good grandparent. Or sprinkle rose water upon it. But yet outside of Christ, it's like a sewer and it makes no difference. Only the blood of Jesus can cleanse you from every sin. And only the blood of Jesus can wash you from all unrighteousness. Only the blood of Jesus can pay your debt. And only the blood of Jesus and the blood of Jesus only can clean the Surrey mind and the Surrey heart. Let's not come to God with anything of our own imaginations or our own thoughts and doings for it is like sprinkling rose water upon a sewer. I know that may be not what you say in the year 2015. And I know you'll maybe want to hear, there's people want to hear the, the, the wonderful words, here's how five ways to have a blessed week, and six ways to have a blessed day, and ten ways to spend your money to get a jet plane or whatever it may be. And here is the blessing of God. The blessing of the Lord starts when the fear of the Lord comes in. And you realize you're a sinner in need of a Savior. When you realize that without Christ you're lost. And you're like a sewer before Almighty God. Even the best of mankind. And realize that only Christ and His precious blood can pay your debt. Then your blessing begins. And every Christian who has tasted and seen that the Lord is good can say, Amen and Amen and Amen again. For Christ and Christ alone can save the soul that is sick with sin and save the dying lost. Jacob's election, Jacob's enlightenment, Jacob's elevation by God was empowered and enthroned by God. By bringing him from Jacob to Israel, ruling and reigning with Christ as an administrator in the kingdom of God. And all of Jacob's worms, all the worms of Jacob, in other words, who have the nature, all of us who are here tonight, who have been elevated in Christ 
and sealed by sovereign grace through faith, we will be, we will be ruling and reigning with him when he returns again. Listen to F.B. Meyer. He says, the Bible does not hesitate to tell us the very worst about its heroes, that we may better magnify the grace of God, which out of such material could create trophies of mercy. I want to read that again, because the one you're looking at, the person you're looking at, and many of you in here, you may have washed your face and combed your hair, and you may have put in your false teeth or whatever you've done to make yourself presentable and put on your shirt and your tie or your best of attire. You may have done your best, but when it all boils down to the flesh you sit in, you're no more than a worm of Jacob. But in Christ, we are elevated and lifted up that the grace of God in our lives, brother, sister, that the grace of God in your life In other words, we are complete failures, but he carries us. We are complete letdowns before God, but he lifts us. We fall and we fall not off the rock, but upon the rock, Christ Jesus. And he keeps us going on with him. And why? To make trophies out of you and out of me for his grace. Imagine seeing someone like me. And someone like me who knew me years ago can look at me And they used to say, I'll give him a day, I'll give him a week, I'll give him a month when I first got saved. Ken, he's up to something. Ken Davidson's up to something. I know him. He's up to something. He must be looking to get in somewhere to steal something or something or break into somewhere. Or he's going to get into trouble or else somebody's in trouble with him. That was my life like Jacob a twister and a turner. And People looked at me and pointed the finger at me. And drug dealers came up beside me in the car and says, what do you see what I've got for this week, Ken? And Ken says, I've been saved. I've been born again. I've been lifted from that. And I'll never need you anymore. And they laughed me in the face. But by the grace of God, I'm here. By the grace of God, I'm still going on with him. By the grace of God, I am saved. Brother, sister, think not us of ourselves. But God's grace is magnified by lifting the vilest of worm. God's grace is magnified by lifting the vilest of society. Lifting men like me. And taking them and elevating them in a place with Christ. Notice this. It says the Bible does not hesitate to tell us the very worst about its heroes. And I'm glad. You know why? Because when I see David, I see his failures. The sweet psalmist of Israel, the prophet of God to Israel, the king over all Israel, the mighty warrior. He was fearless in battle. He was irresistible to women. He had everything at his his command, at his very fingertips. And this David, he failed and he fell. And he committed adultery. And he committed murder. And he ran away from God. And he let down his testimony. But God and his grace still made a trophy out of him. God and his grace lifted him. And we read about him right through the scripture here, even today. Notice, God is making a trophy out of you, brother. Out of you, sister. That we may better magnify the grace of God, which out of such materials could create trophies of mercy. 
God hath chosen the weak things, the foolish things, the things which are despised. Do you know why? That his glory would be seen even greater, magnified. That his glory would be seen and magnified in our lives. How does a man, I speak of myself, but you can apply it to your own heart. How does a man like me, how does a man like me have even the face to stand and preach the word of God? How does a man like whom I was have the audacity to stand with an open book, the holy scriptures, and, and, and break the bread of life to men and women? How dare I but for the grace of God? How can I but for the grace of God? How dare I tell a world they're dying without Christ but for the grace of God and the blood of Jesus? Grace bows down. It's the superior to the inferior. It stoops from the heights of heaven to the depths of the depravity. Grace condescends from the riches of glory to the ruins of humanity. Grace is sent from the love of the Father to the sinner as a shepherd's crook is that stretches down to rescue the lost sheep on the craggy, rocky cliff edge of danger. Grace climbs down into the pit to lift up out the captured creation of man whom he formed in his image. Grace digs one out of the muddy Mary clay and carries them up to set them on a rock that they may sing the songs of Zion in the heavenly choir. Grace came down to Jacob at Bethel, the house of God it means. And Grace reached a twisted worm. That wasn't F.B. Meyer wrote that. I did. That's my own. Jacob's ladder was shown to, as it's known, it's the Lord's ladder really, been shown to Jacob in Genesis chapter 28. As he's lying there, there's a ladder, a stairway comes from heaven to the earth. And if you read up and you go home, he's standing at the top of the ladder, the stairway. The Lord is standing there. Looking at Jacob, the angels of the Lord are coming up and down, ascending and descending And Jacob is watching this, this worm looking at the heights of heaven. This worm looking, this twister, this supplanter, looking at the glories of God. And listen, by looking at it, he sees his complete and his total inability to reach that. Friend, brother, sister, when we realize who we were, and when we realize what we were, We can look and say, Lord, I was like Jacob lying on the ground, a twisted worm who needed straightened out. But I looked at the ladder from heaven and I seen it's impossible for me to attain it. See if you come down in grace and reach me. Jacob's ladder comes and, you know, if you read the scriptures of, and the story of Jacob, you know what you'll find? Jacob had heard and seen his grandfather 
his father building altars. Everywhere they went, setting up the sacrifice, speaking the scriptures over him and talking about the things of God. He saw it all. He saw the blessing of following the Lord. He knew it all. But one thing he never had was his own personal experience with God. His own personal experience with the Lord. And now suddenly he sees his impossibility as a twisted worm on the ground with his head on a stone pillow. And he sees the the very heavens open to him. And he sees the staircase or the ladder coming down. And the Lord stood at the top of it. Oh, how far I am away from you, God. When I thought, I thought that I could have reached heaven. I thought I could reach your kingdom and your glory. Even should I shed this mortal coil. I'm a good person. Possibility of heaven to the depraved nature of man must first be seen that you can never get there without Christ. That's how important Christ is to our lives. He is our salvation. Jacob has a an encounter in Genesis 32. The latter was Genesis chapter 28. Genesis 32, he has an encounter, and it's called he wrestles with the angel of the Lord all night. But the angel of the Lord is actually God coming to him in what's known as a theophany. In other words, he comes as an angelic being, but it's actually God manifesting his invisibility. And he wrestles with Jacob all night, as it were, in the tent. And the day is coming, he says, let me go for the day breaketh. And Jacob won't let him go and says, except you bless me, I'm not going to let you go. And he changes his name from Jacob to Israel. For thou hast prevailed with God. This was his first face-to-face encounter with God. Oh, he's seen him up there, but now God had come down. God starts dealing with him. See where I am up here? You can't come, Jacob. But God in his grace by Peniel, as you call the place, he comes down and wrestles with him. He allows Jacob to have the privilege of an encounter with God. And you can't be saved unless you had an encounter with God. It takes a face-to-face encounter with God and for Christ to leave an indelible mark upon you for the rest of your life. And to leave an indelible impression in your life that you'll express it in this word. And that's what happened to Jacob, the twisted worm. His name was changed to Israel, and God started doing a great work in him. He actually limped 
he hit the hollow of his thigh and he limped. And it was a mark that he had been with God. He wouldn't forget that time. Do you know, see when a man and woman come to Christ, they never forget it. You'll never forget the night, the day, the time, the place, wherever it was, that Christ came into your life. Listen, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord, said Isaiah. In other words, I'm a priest here, and I'm in the temple, but you know what? I didn't really know him, for I hadn't seen him before. But in the year that King Uzziah died, the year of the king of Judah died, he says, I saw the Lord, and it changed me forever. Professing Christians, I wonder sometimes out here, I'm not speaking of anyone in particular here, but professing Christians, I wonder have they ever had a real encounter? A real encounter. You know why? Because you have an encounter with Christ. You're never the same again. You can't be. Peter says, Lord, to whom else would we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. In other words, Lord, we have tasted and we have seen that you're good. What would satisfy us outside here? Oh, grace came down to meet Jacob. Grace came down and met him at Peniel. Peniel means the face of God. Face to face with God. It's a personal experience to meet Christ. Face to face experience. Jacob the twister found grace. Paul says in Ephesians 2 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Jacob the twister, the supplanter, the heel grabber, found this grace and God came down and changed him. Can I ask you something even, Christian? How long has God been wrestling with you about something and you won't give it in? You won't give it over. You won't give it up. How long must God wrestle with us and we're asking for the blessing and he says, but you're wrestling with me and I'm ready to bless you. Stop fighting and just receive it. Rest in his presence. Rest before his face, his penile, and he'll do the work. That's my introduction. Now, in our reading, in Isaiah 41 and verse 14, Jacob is dead many, many years. And as I said, this is his descendants. And God looks at his descendants and sees the old nature. In other words, he sees the fallen nature, the depraved nature, the nature that's willing uh, to serve everything else and everyone else but God. (laughs) And God looks upon Jacob and he looks upon Israel, the same family. And as he looks upon them, he calls them Jacob, thy worm. Thy worm, Jacob. The worm of Jacob here speaks of fallen nature, our fallen nature from Father Adam. It speaks of the depraved nature of natural man, the cheating nature of Jacob, and the false religion 
of man's Babylon. It speaks of the loss of the flesh. It speaks of the loss of the eye and of the pride of life. The worm Jacob speaks of the, the greed of our hearts and the chains of our addictions. It speaks of the lies of the devil that we listen to and puts us into bondage. And it speaks of our own desires, our own wants, and our own ways. And God looks at all their false religion and all the things that are going on in their land. Look at Great Britain and it'll give you a good idea. And he says, thy worm! They're a worm. As I said, until a man and woman see their condition before God, and they're complete and to- they are completely and totally lost and helpless before him. And until that, and they realize they cannot be saved and they will not enter God's kingdom. Jesus said, they that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Are you telling me Jesus said there are those who are righteous even outside of him? No, he means you're self-righteous and until self-righteousness leaves the heart of a man and a woman, then he says, I'm not come to save you. But when a man and woman realize I am a worm of Jacob or I am a sinner, I have this nature, my ability, my inability to get me to glory and to heaven. Oh, Jesus, it's only in you. He says, in you I've come to save Because a sheep will hear his voice. They know him, they'll follow him. So I want to look at worms throughout Scripture. You're listening to me, your attention's tremendous. You aren't falling asleep, are you? Hope not. Worms throughout Scripture and in natural life are linked to corruption and death. Let me give you an example. In Exodus chapter 16, the manna comes down for Israel in the wilderness and the Lord says to Moses, tell the people to gather just every day, fresh every day. If you gather twice, save for the Sabbath day. He says, if you gather it and you leave anything over and think you'll keep it for the next day, it'll breed worms and it'll stink. And some did leave it over, Exodus 16, about verse 20. It says that some left, some over, thinking, well, what if, one, there isn't any manna tomorrow? And what if I get up and my children are hungry and there is no manna tomorrow? And what if God's word isn't what it says it is? And what if Moses isn't sure that he's bringing us the truth? And, And they're all starting to think these things, and some of them say, I'm keeping some for tomorrow just in case. They got up the next morning, it was breed, had bred worms and it was stinking. So worms are linked with corruption. Here's the thing, do you know that whenever you go seeking the Lord every day, he's there. He is your manna, he's your bread of life. But do you know something? If you put your trust in Christ for everything in your life, if you put your trust in Christ for every day of your life, there's not a day in your life that will go past where he will not meet your need and he will not say, uh, he will perform what he says and he will not do what he has also spoken in his word. Do you not realize that you don't need to worry about tomorrow? For five times in Matthew chapter 6, the Lord says, Why take thought for tomorrow? That is anxious thought. And he tells us these things. Do you know when Israel fell asleep at night and they had their belly full of manna? Do you know by the next morning, 
the man was on the ground as God said it would be. You see, their lack of faith can make them try to do something themselves like Jacob did with the birthright with Esau. It doesn't work. It's like this. While the children of Israel were sleeping, the ovens of heaven were baking. He doesn't slumber, neither does he sleep. So, even when we go to Mark chapter 9, verse 44, 46, and 48, the Lord Jesus speaks of hellfire. Hellfire. Where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Jesus speaks of that. Where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And metaphorically also, it gives the idea of the exclusion of hope of any restoration to those who find themselves there. And they find themselves where the worm dieth not. In other words, annoying. I think it's K-N-A-W, isn't that how you spell no? Gnawing. A yearning. A wishing. A hoping. If only this torment... This is terrible for eternity. The worm dieth not, and the burning fire is not quenched. When we look, the Lord says, Thy worm Jacob, he speaks to the flesh, ye men of Israel, as according to the call of God. I will help thee, that is Yahweh, Almighty God. The Redeemer, thy Redeemer is the kinsman. That means he had to become uh, part of their family. A kinsman was someone who redeemed, who bought, who was next in line. You know, way someone would have, uh, say someone passed on a will, the next of, and kin, of kin would get it. Well, he would have to be a next of kin to redeem. And Christ says, I will become your next of kin to redeem you. He's the Holy One, the Kadosh, the Spirit of the living God. Notice, Yahweh, God, becomes our kinsman, our redeemer, and he sets us apart with his spirit. This is where we now get to the real stuff. Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is known as the Psalm of the Cross. The Psalm of the Cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Uh, is what David cries through the spirit of prophecy. And he sees, as it were, himself in agonies, but he's living it out where Christ has prophesied off as his coming, and Christ cries it from the cross himself. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was forsaken that you would not be forsaken. I've noticed this. Verse 6. Notice this, he cries, but I am a worm. I'm no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. Notice, I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. This is Christ. Ah, but hold on a minute. Now, Jesus didn't cry that from the cross. You're right, he didn't. This is Jesus 
before his incarnation at Bethlehem as the Word of God, speaking through the spirit of prophecy into David. And he's playing on his harp and he's writing it down and he's singing it as he sees it. And God says, I am the great eternal spirit, the living God. And now when I see me here, I'm a worm. Look what I'm doing for you. Look what I've become for this fallen race. But I am a worm and no man. How can you relay that to be like Christ? Well, let me tell you something. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 10 says, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Who's given David the words? Jesus. Jesus is. Yahweh says, I'll be your redeemer. Here's the picture. But I am a worm. Imagine the great eternal God. Imagine he whom angels fold their wings at the very sound of his name. Imagine him who came to bleed and die for us. And he says, but I am a worm. I'm a worm. Oh, talk about great grace and the condescending of God. The reproach of men despised of the people. Listen, the spirit of prophecy speaks again to Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah 53. And Isaiah 53 is known as the chapter of Isaiah of the cross of Christ. 750 years before he was born in Bethlehem. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. We didn't want to know him. Then he goes on to say, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. By the stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And Yahweh hath led on him the iniquity of us all. Oh boy. And men and women think they're going to come to God by saying, I wasn't a bad spud. He says, have you seen my son? I gave him for you. Have you seen him? How filthy are our good works now when they measure to Christ. So I finish. I finish. Sometimes when I finish, it can take a wee minute, you know that. Finish. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 16. If we want to look at this kinsman. It means our Goel, kinsman, redeemer, flesh of our flesh, bone of our bone, man of every man. It says, For he verily took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. In other words, here he took Abraham's seed. Romans 8 and 3 tells us God sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin condemned sin in the flesh. In other words, uh, he alone was sinless and conquered it. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In other words, the Father made his Son to be sin. He took our sin. That you and I who are worms of Jacob with this old nature, that you and I who are sinners and depraved in our ways and hell bound, that our sin that was dragging us there and pulling us down, he says, he took it off you and he put it on him, that you would be righteous. That you, when you stand before him, and all of your weaknesses, you can say, I'm trusting in the Savior. I've trusted in the blood of Jesus. And he'll say, enter thy into the joy of thy Lord. Oh, outside of Christ, we have no hope. So God says, fear not thy worm Jacob, ye men of Israel, I will help thee. And oh, did he help? Did he help? He helped me. He helped me when he came to me in my deepest, darkest hour, in the desperate need that I had, in the sin of my depravity. He helped me. Has he helped you, brother? Has he helped you, sister? If he has, would you say praise the Lord? Come on, brothers and sisters, would you say praise the Lord? Let him hear it. Praise his holy name. David, through the spirit of prophecy, cries of Christ, I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men, despised of the people. Christ became our Goel, a kinsman redeemer. And he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet he was without sin. Even as the hymn writer says, he took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary and he suffered and died alone. Why hast thou forsaken me? He cries to his father. So I finish with this thought. The word worm is the word tola. Tola in the Hebrew language. Tola. It is used in scripture for other English words. In other words, tola can be used for different words throughout the scripture. For example, It is used for the word scarlet 34 times. Same word for worm. Strange, isn't it? Worm is only used eight times for tola. And crimson one time. For example, in Exodus 26, the tabernacle in the wilderness, the curtains were to be made of blue, purple, linen, and scarlet. Not bad colors. Red, white, and blue. (laughs) And purple. It's been made of those colors. And again in Isaiah 1 and verse 18, the Lord says, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Listen, though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Though they be red like crimson, like tola. My sins are like a worm. What do you mean, Lord? There was a worm called the, I think I can pronounce this right, the Ocus elicus worm. And when it was ready to give birth, it clings and attaches itself to a tree. And once it's there, it is never removed. 
till it dies. It lays its eggs. The young ones are under its body. And this worm was a red-colored worm. And as the young ones grew, they grew on the very body of the mother, eating the redness from her, it's her blood, in other words, her, 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 her inside. And the red went across the tree. You could tell with the red patches on the tree. And it dried up in the heat. And what they did was they came and picked off these little worms, these grubs. And they made dye out of it. So you get the red dye from it. Do we not have a picture of Christ? Who died on a tree. Do we not have a picture of Christ that through his blood you and I are growing into God, washed in his blood? Was the cross not stained with that crimson tide? And until he was taken down, you and I would never know the very depths of this gospel. The dye of the crimson blood of Jesus flows and still dies sinners crimson red. The Lord says in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 2, And he's speaking to them, uh, a house of Judah at a, at a crucial time. He says, I am the Lord thy God, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. In other words, you've still got the nature. You're still a sinner. You've still got the old flesh. You've still got the old ways. He says, and only because of my goodness, because I am the unchanging God, you're not wiped out. That's the idea of it. You're not obliterated. You know why Britain is still a a nation tonight? Because God sees them and in his goodness, he's saying, I'm giving you time. I'm giving you time. I'm giving you time. Turn to me. Or I'll obliterate you. Only, only for the mercy of God and the grace that has come down. God bless his word tonight. God does straighten out twisted worms, doesn't he? He says, I am a worm. I'm a worm. 